the Lord said to me, You are my son. It is I who have begotten you this day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Merry Christmas. Let those words penetrate you for a moment. This is that night where we celebrate the birth of him who has come to bring us from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom, from death to light. The one who brings us redemption by the forgiveness of our sins. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. Now there were shepherds in that region, living in the fields and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, who is Christ and Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. It really doesn't take much to make a good nativity set. We don't reflect on that enough. It really doesn't take much. Look at what we have here and how beautiful it is. And yet on the other hand, what's involved? We have some figures. We have some dead branches. We have straw, which is spent hay, which is cut grass. We have some evergreen cuttings, a couple trees, a folding table, an old piece of cloth, and some rocks. And we strung some lights. And 
yet people come to look at it and enjoy it. And after Mass, we're going to go down below to the pavilion area. And what are we going to see? Old shipping pallets that have sat behind our garage for a year. More trees and a lot more dead branches. More rocks. Think about that for a moment. These are things we ordinarily throw away, cast aside. But something about using them for this day, in this way, makes them beautiful, makes them wondrous, makes them magical in a good way. And now think about your life. Because we are like that. There is so much about us and so much about our world that goes so horribly wrong. So much about ourselves that we want to get rid of. So much about this world we look at and want to look away from as soon as we can. And then we have the dead branches, the cast off pottery, the rock that was lying around outside, apparently not good for anything, apparently spent of no real value. And what could you buy in a store that looks as good as that? Note how this mystery that we celebrate is so fundamentally transformative in a way that we easily overlook all the time. That's the very essence of the symbolism of the nativity set. It's not just that the figures tell a story about, and then this person showed up, and that person showed up, and of course there was a donkey and Jesus was born. It also tells the story about the reality of this wounded world into which Christ came. We hear it in those simple words in the gospel. Notice how the great event of the birth of Christ is described in about five sentences. If it were in the modern age, we'd have had 24-7 news coverage from major networks at that stable for weeks. And then after the birth, there would have been reams and reams of information and congressional investigations into it. But what does the Holy Spirit give us? About five verses. And yet how much is said in those five verses? The whole world we hear being at peace. Because the Romans would have killed anybody who disagreed. And so, yes, there was peace, but the peace that comes also with oppression, the peace that comes with force of arms, the peace that comes when order is imposed. And out of that imposed peace comes another imposition, Everybody must get up 
and go and be counted. It's the reverse lockdown. Leave your homes, travel to where you were born so that we might number you. Because the emperor wants to know how many are under his rule. The emperor wants to know where his subjects are. And in this movement of worldly power saying, you must move so that I can number you, I can count you, I can assign you a place. And note how ironic that is. To be assigned a place, you have to lose your place. You have to get up and move. Note how disruptive it is. The whole world being at peace, but everybody's life turned upside down. And in the middle of this is one who comes from outside. And among all of those whose lives are turned up down are two who journey to Bethlehem, who are really three. A young woman, her husband, and the child she carries. But Jesus doesn't move to Bethlehem because Augustus Caesar gave an order. This is the beautiful thing. And Mary and Joseph don't go to Bethlehem because an earthly ruler, however mighty, however glorious, however famous, however powerful, gave a command. They go, because that is where the Lord has come to be born. Oh, yes, Augustine barked his order. Oh, yes, the world is in movement. But ordering all of that, putting Augustine's arbitrary degrees into a better order, is the Lord hidden and alive in Mary. And he goes, not to be counted by an emperor, not to be numbered by any earthly power, he who made this earth in the first place. Note how marvelous this is. Augustus Caesar on his throne in distant Rome in all of his glory, speaks his command. And his heralds, his messengers, go out into the world. They stand in the town squares. They read the order. Everybody from the kings on down have to obey and have to respond. It's public. It's splendid. It's dramatic. And... Then there's this other king. He who is the word that made the entire universe. And he moves, not because some earthly ruler gave a word. But note the irony, the contrast. Earthly power barking its decrees. And the silent word who made all things. And his quiet movement to Bethlehem is not dramatic. His quiet movement to Bethlehem, where he will be born, 
is not preceded by great announcements in the moment. But for the ear to hear and the heart to know, for thousands of years his coming has been announced. Prophets have announced it. Divine signs have announced it. But how easy it is to forget those things when the world is really loud. And so it is. He comes. No one hears. and No one sees. And here is the ruler of all things. And there is no palace waiting for him. There is no parade or honor guard to receive him. There is no agitated preparation to get ready for him. In fact, as we hear, there is no room for him. No space for him. But Jesus didn't come for you to give him space. Jesus didn't come for me to give him a home. That's the beauty that he shows us here. Joseph, who goes to his hometown, doesn't have a bed waiting for him and his family. It's not just that there was no room in the inn. Joseph's family had no room. He goes home, but he's outside, sheltering in a cave in a stable. And Jesus is pleased, not unhappy, pleased to be born this way. Because you've had all those moments in your life where you don't fit in. You've had those days, those weeks, perhaps those years, where you've been outside in the cold. You've had those moments where there was no room for you. Oh, physically there might have been, but there wasn't room in someone's affection. There wasn't room in someone's time. There wasn't room in someone's heart. Note how universal that experience really is. And note that this is how Jesus comes to you. Jesus comes into a world that doesn't have room for him. Because Jesus isn't looking for a room in the world. Joseph doesn't have a room in his hometown. Because Jesus is pleased to show him your home is not here. I'm the one who's come to bring you home with me. This is what the Lord shows us here. He hasn't come to make an earthly abode with us. Oh, he will be with us. He is with us. But he is with us not because here is so fantastic. He's here so that we can go someplace better with him. But now note the difference 
That's stable. And let's compare. Caesar has his palace in Rome. Herod has his palace in Jerusalem. And the king of glory has his barn. In worldly terms, which is the bigger building? Well, that's Caesar's. In worldly terms, which building has more rooms? Caesar's. In worldly terms, which building has more gold, more silver, more costly adornment, and more comfortable furniture? Why, again, that would be Caesar's. Which building has all the important people of the earth in it? That would be Caesar's. What do you have in a barn? You've got animals. You've got dirt. You've got straw. You've got those who don't have a place anywhere else. And yet Caesar's palace was never and could never be so splendid as that stable on that night. Because Caesar's palace didn't have the light of the world in it. Caesar's palace didn't have the fullness of the mercy of God in it. Caesar's palace didn't have all of the wealth of grace and blessing that heaven has within it. Oh, but that barn did. And however impressive the throne that Caesar sat on, what throne has ever been so splendid as the sinless and holy Virgin Mary? And Caesar on his throne, what does he get to see? He gets to see all of those people who want something from him. He gets to receive all of that fake flattery from the nobles who show up. He has to watch his back, wondering when he's going to be betrayed. And Jesus, born in Bethlehem, opens his eyes to the world, and what is the first face he sees but Our Lady's? Which king has a better palace? Which king has a better throne? Note how marvelous that stable seems. Who would prefer the palace of Caesar on this night for all of its splendor to that stable in all of its squalor, in all of its poverty, in all of its nothingness? And note how wonderful the new king is born and his messengers are sent out too, but they don't go to the street corners and they don't go to the palaces They go out into the fields and they find the shepherds who have no place to stay that night. And heaven calls them. And note how beautifully the scripture says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Just imagine that for a moment in your life. The glory of heaven shining around you. And the first thought we many of us would have would be, who? Me? That can't happen. That shouldn't happen. I'm not the right kind of person for that. Neither were the shepherds. 
And that's what made them so right. And so the glory of the Lord shone upon them. Caesar didn't get word of the birth of the Lord. Herod didn't get an invitation. But the shepherds did. Because they were outside too. Sleeping in the fields with no roof over their head. No earthly home. And they receive the joy that he is here. And note how the angel speaks to them. A savior has been born for you. And again, let the word penetrate you. Not simply a savior has been born, but for you he has been born. Not for somebody else, not for Caesar. Not for Herod. Not for the innkeeper. It's not that they're ruled out. It's just the angel's not talking to them. The angel's talking to you. The Savior has been born for you. Go and see. Go and see. You'll find him in a stable. As poor as you are, but you will find him. And on going to that stable, the shepherds see their own poverty there. But it looks so different now. There's a glory about it, a goodness about it, a brightness about it. They no longer simply see the cast-aside shipping pallets of their life, the straw, the dead sticks and branches. They see all of those things put together in a way that they never imagined. And bearing and holding a goodness they can't begin to comprehend. But they know it's there for them. And that he can do the same to their lives and their families. That's the mystery we celebrate this night. Note how wonderful that is, that my heart, which is more like a barn than a palace, is where the Lord wants to be. That my poverty and my woundedness and my need is where he wants to be. And that as I come before him, he turns his eyes and he looks at me and he doesn't look away because he is pleased to see me there. And he is pleased to be here where you and I am. It's Christmas and that's what Christmas means. What a great gift. And when we say Merry Christmas to one another, that's the fountain we speak from. It's not a shallow greeting. It's a deep greeting. Because he is joy born into the world. He is the joy of this world. And he has come to bring the joy of his presence 
into our lives that are found in a world that robs us of our joy every single day. How important this night is. How great this gift is. Over these coming days, remember, Christmas is a season. It's not a day. Let the world go back to business as usual at 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. You don't have to. Linger in this. Savor this. And hold on to this. Because let's be honest. You're going to hear a lot over the coming weeks of reasons to be afraid. Reasons to be worried. And you'll be confronted with problems that are so much bigger than you. And so remember the small one who comes, who is only small to our eyes, but whose presence is great, whose strength is invincible, and whose peace overcomes all things. And don't you ever forget, he has been born for you. Yes, for everybody else too. But right now, he, on this night, has been born most especially for you. And when you come forward in a few minutes and you stretch out your hands to that small consecrated host, that's who you receive. And that's who receives you. Receive him into your heart, even if it's more like a stable than a palace. Because we already know he has a soft spot for stables. So receive him there. And let his glory transform that stable. Not by your effort, but by his presence. Because he has been born for you. Amen.